This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. I am Jasmine Clark and I am Black. I'm Rachel Vindman and I am White. I'm Amanda Weinstein. I am White. That is the crew from the Suburban Women Problem Podcast. And we have a blunt, fun, but serious conversation about privilege. We have been celebrating and we had just talked so much about American exceptionalism and how the great American experiment is working so well. Um, And I think if there's one thing that this pandemic has shown, but honestly, it's been this way even before the pandemic. Um, I think the exceptionalism is actually more of just um, accept. Coming up in this episode of Colors. The NFL. I've said it to our leadership. It's a tough place to work for a black person lately. Thomas Warren is a senior producer at NFL Media, and there are a lot of difficult conversations happening now. And conversations that I have with my colleagues, conversations I have with the leadership there, we have a lot of these discussions because it's happened, instances have happened too many times, whether it's issues with coach hirings, where it's what happened with John Gruden in the emails recently, this this latest one with Brian Flores. The conversations we have with our leadership, which is a mostly white leadership is, we're not trying to guilt you into bringing about change. There just are a lot of talented, invested black people in this company who wanna be a part of the solution. And Warren says there is one overriding reason why this is important to handle now. And it's important about the NFL because of the makeup and the product on the field and how the league makes its money, which is on the backs of players that are 70 percent black. And I don't think that can be diminished in the conversation. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting. Injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. My name is Shonda Buchanan. I identify as African-American and American Indian, and I am from Kalamazoo, Michigan. My name is Mike Jakaitis. I'm an Asian-American. My name is Lara Capuano. I am located in Rochester, New York, and I am white. My name is JJ Green. I'm black. And this is Colors. Thomas Warren is someone that I've known for uh, a few years. It sound right, boys. And uh, someone that I'm immensely proud to be uh, associated with. Uh, we worked together here at Washington for a few years, but you know, him being from Los Angeles or from uh, Inglewood, in the words of Dr. Dre, I'm not going to go there, actually. <laughs> but, <laughs> but him being from where he is, uh, he is such a valuable individual and someone that I 
care a great deal about and think a great deal of. And uh, I think you would enjoy hearing from him, too. You've heard his voice on a few occasions on this program, and this is what you've heard. Hi, I'm Thomas Warren. I'm a black man from Inglewood, California. And my first thought of seeing George Floyd die on that video was anger and that his life didn't matter enough to those four officers to want to spare it so he could see his day in court, which led to my second feeling of despair and just wanting to shake people and say that black folks don't want you to feel sorry for us. We just want some empathy and understanding that we want our lives to matter enough to be protected. And I'm hoping we can get there one day. Thomas, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, JJ. And you said it right, Inglewood, because I say that because I'm proud to be from Inglewood. I've been proud long before the NFL <laughs> came to town. So. so what did Dr. Dre say? Inglewood, Inglewood, always up to no good. <laughs> Everybody knows that line. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, but Dr. Dre was wrong about one brother from Inglewood. <laughs> at least one brother. <laughs> right. <laughs> but thank you for being on today. Uh, you know, at the very beginning of Colors, you were right there, and we talked about it before it, it dropped, and, you know, we got your viewpoints on what folks just heard about the George Floyd situation and being a black man in America uh, and a number of other things since then. But something that we continue to talk about, continue to dialogue about, and we talked about not too long ago, was what was it about the George Floyd situation that changed so much? And I want to jump into that a little bit with you today, amongst amongst other things. So talk to us about that, that George Floyd thing. What did you notice about the situation with George Floyd and his death? I mean, it's, you know, it, it's like everyone saw. It was the, the video of seeing it. And... That seemed to be the, the flashpoint for folks, I guess, who would say they weren't familiar with the things that black folks were dealing with in the justice system. And even things like what happened to George Floyd himself happening, weren't aware of it. That was a flashpoint because it, it wasn't the first. You can say Philando Castile, George, you know, um, Philando Castile, Eric Garner and, and the likes. And it wasn't anything new. But for whatever reason, seeing the video for folks open their eyes to the bigger picture of what, what we know, and I, I'll say what I know as a Black man, just the struggles that we have to be treated as equals, as human beings. Um, so it was good to see that the attention was focused just on the plight of Black people. And really, for that time, I think really people trying to understand what Black people go through. Um, but... I just don't know if that's still at the forefront of a lot of people's minds to affect that change that was so at the forefront when George Floyd was killed. Yeah. One of the things that I've noticed in talking to a number of guests on, on this, on this podcast and, you know, and actually talking to some people just in person, you know, people are walking away from this people, you know, our white brothers and sisters are walking away from this. Some of them, I should say. A growing number of them um, are walking away from this. I, I'm, I've been told. I haven't observed the, the the quantity, so I don't know. I can't say for sure, but I do know that I'm hearing from a lot of folks that uh, a lot of people are, are are getting weary of this. But I say to them, I don't have that option. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. I don't have that option. But are you getting that in Los Angeles too? I mean, I will say the the, the good thing is is that I, I see a lot of attention being paid. Um, to black businesses and 
people really, I think, trying to to boost that side and, and, and inject some some backing and uplifting black businesses, which has been great. Um, I will say, though, that's it's why I mentioned that at the time of George Floyd, I think people really fighting, fighting for that change was at the forefront. But it's what we see all the time. Right. It's once the news cycle changes, that's always when I'm interested to see what who's really who's really down for the cause, for a lack of a better way to say it. When the news cycle changes and we get 30 days, 60 days, three months, six months down the line, are those same people still going to be willing to use their voice? And I think that part of it has been been lost. It's it's classic ally fatigue. Right. Yeah. It's what happens when things move on. And so that's why I've asked the question and I've had it in my head so much is what made George Floyd different? Because it wasn't the first time we saw a black man being killed by a police officer on video. And I still haven't really gotten a, maybe a satisfactory answer for my, for my liking, but I, 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 and it's a genuine, and I said genuinely, I genuinely am interested for the non black people who are interested, vested in this, what made George Floyd different? And, you know, know, the thing, we can't replicate it. We we can't hope for it to be replicated because from personally, the day that George Floyd died, so did I. I mean, I stopped breathing, albeit for a short period of time. That poor man never got a chance to breathe again. But I do recall sitting there watching him holding my breath and realizing that something fundamental had changed in me. And a lot of people that I knew, the allies that I had of all races, um, knew that something had changed in me and something had changed in them too. Um, but we don't have the option of, of, of trying to, to replicate that. And the thing that I'm struggling with is how to keep this train running. And one of the things that occurred to me, and you tell me if this is the wrong way to do this, one of the things one of the things that crossed my mind about this is to continually remind people of exactly what it is you said. You know, you were here with us when this happened, when George Floyd died. What changed in your life now? I mean, that's one of the things, one of the questions that I've been asking people who've walked away, at least those I have the ability to engage with and certainly the relationship to, you know, ask them that question. I don't know. Is that right or wrong? No, I mean, I think, you know, there is no right or wrong, right? I mean, just just the fact that you're still engaging people in the question, I think, is important. And I think, as we've seen a lot of times, I, I think it's unfortunate that we, and I mean we as Black folk, have to be the ones that continue to drive the conversation, have to continue to keep the issues at the forefront, have to continue to keep people's interest in that, like you said earlier, this isn't just a, a flashpoint and it's not just one incident. This is we don't have the 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 luxury of stepping away from being black on a daily basis. So George Floyd may have been one incident, one instance for for a lot of people, but for us, it doesn't take a George Floyd moment for us to realize who we are and how we're perceived in this country. That's a daily occurrence. So I think as unfortunate it is for you to have to do that, I think it's important for you to do that. I know I feel that, and it's a burden that we have to carry, unfortunately, but mm-hmm. it's it's ours to carry, it's ours to bear, and we have to continue to keep people's minds, what does it, keep their eye on the prize. Right. I mean, we're always there, but 
if we don't do it, who's going to do it? You know, and I hope our allies and friends of other races that are out there are hearing this and hearing what we're saying here. And, and, and this is this is not designed to make you feel guilty, to guilt you into doing this, but to say to you that if you find yourself in this situation, we'll be there for you. I can say that for you right now, myself, and I'm not going to speak for Thomas, but I can almost sense the same thing coming from him, just knowing him. You know, there are numerous situations we can look at every day. And Thomas, <laughs> you being associated with the NFL. Uh, and first of all, folks, let me just say, this guy is a fantastic athlete himself. He was a professional baseball player. And, you know, he went, had his time and you know, things I don't think, I don't know if you want to tell the story or not, Thomas. But uh, I think if you had had your druthers, you probably would still be playing baseball now. But it didn't work out that way. And you now are associated with the NFL, which, let me say, has a ton, <laughs> has a ton of drama going on. Thomas, what's, what's happening? Oh, man, um, a lot. And, yes, I do work there. I've been there for six years. But I want to go back to something you said. I think that's important um, that, you know, this isn't about guilting our allies into action and yeah, working at the NFL is, is I've, I've said it to our leadership. It's a tough place to work for a black person lately, mm -hmm. but in conversations that I have with my colleagues, conversations I have with the leadership there, we have a lot of these discussions because it's happened. Instances have happened too many times, whether it's issues with coach hirings, where it's what happened with John Gruden in the emails recently, this, this latest one with Brian Flores, the conversations we have with our leadership, which is a mostly white leadership, is we're not trying to guilt you into bringing about change. There just are a lot of talented, invested black people in this company who want to be a part of the solution. And I think hearing you and doing this podcast, it's the same thing. It's we're not trying to beat people over the head with what we go through. We just want to be part of the solution to bring about, about actionable change that we can be a part of. And everyone can feel good about. And so it's no different in the NFL. Um, there are issues on different sides mm -hmm. when it comes to how black folks are, are viewed. And mm -hmm. it's important about the NFL because of the makeup and the product on the field and how the league makes its money, which is on the backs of players that are 70% black. Yeah. And I don't think that can be, be diminished in the conversation. Yeah. You know, not to trivialize any of this, but one of the things that I remember about you uh, most fondly is remember there's this thing called the ice bucket challenge. Yeah. So you did that. And, you know, I, I flaked out. I did not do that. And I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I will be honest about it. I'll just say I didn't do it. But um, the reason I'm bringing this up right now is because that is exactly what I want to do with people right now when it comes to Brian Flores, when it comes to the John Gruden email situation, when it comes to the Demoris Smith situation, the one that he's in. I mean, it's just pick that bucket of ice water up and just throw it on the, the country <laughs> and say, wake right. up, y'all. What? So right. this is not about just Brian Flores. It's not just about Colin Kaepernick. It's not just about Demoris Smith. This is about all. This is about you guys one day. You know, if if one of us is denied an opportunity at the table, that opens the door for another of us 
who looks differently, who thinks differently, who walks differently, acts differently, comes from a different place later on. And that's the thing that I'm saying, you know, is so valuable about you speaking up inside the NFL and here on this program is if we could get people to just understand solidarity is the key here. No. I mean, that's the goal, right? Is it's, but it's, and it's also why when, when people have the conversation, they say, well, I don't see color. I just see the person to me, that's wrong. I want you to see my color. (laughs) I just want you to see my color, not as being less than not being different to where you can't, hold me in, in regard as you would a non-black person. So see my color, but un- try to understand what comes with this color that I hold. Like we're, I'm a person too. Um, so yeah, solidarity is the goal. Um, the question is, like you, you've brought up, is for those of us, who, you who are not black, is what does it mean? What does equality mean to you? And are you willing to use your voice to make that equality real? That's ultimately the the question. Can you talk a little bit about how that Brian Flores situation, first of all, explain to folks what it is, uh, because a lot of folks that listen to this podcast don't pay any attention to sports, but um, explain what it is and how it's playing in your world. So Brian Flores was the former coach of the Miami Dolphins who was recently fired. Um, he filed a lawsuit alleging that there is racial discrimination in the hiring practices of the NFL. And so he's suing the NFL as a whole, but he's also suing three specific teams, the New York Giants, the Miami Dolphins, and the different Broncos, and saying that in specific instances of interviewing with those teams, that he, with the Giants, for instance, he was said, he said that they only used him as a Rooney Rule candidate um, and essentially in the other interviews as well. And he is calling for kind of broad change within the NFL in regards to its hiring practices of minority coaches and general managers. Um, And he has specific things in their line that he would like to see uh, the league have black ownership to create a pipeline for assistant coaches to get those, um, be in the positions that are pipeline to head coaching jobs, like the offensive coordinator, like the defensive coordinator. Um, So he has asked for a number of things. And to say that it's flipped the NFL on its head would be an understatement. (laughs) Um, The last couple of days, because of the monumental nature of something like this, where I I don't know that we've seen anything like this before, where a former coach um, is suing the league over retiring practices. And this is a coach who, by all accounts and, and, and uh, generally is objectively seen as a good coach in the league. And he's still up for two head coaching jobs. Um, so this is, I mean, it's, it's early to tell, but I, I think this is going to be a situation. And, and let me mention too, that there was a class action lawsuit. So he didn't file it just on behalf of himself, but also knowing class action suits, others can join, join the lawsuit. Yeah. So this is going to be, um, I think, something that's going to be part of the discussion for, for, for a while. Yeah. And, you know, there's Hugh Jackson, the former coach in Cleveland. Marvin Lewis, the former coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. Both have said similar things. Um, and so I'm hoping that people kind of look at this and, and see that, okay, no, this is not just 
this is not just one man and this is not sour grapes. This is a situation where you got a great job. And if you just keep your mouth shut, keep your head down, you keep that job and the money that comes with it and maybe some more money that somebody's going to throw your way if you do what they ask you to do. But then you have to look at what they're asking you to do. Your dignity, your family's dignity, the sport's dignity, humanity's dignity is all at stake. You make this decision. Okay, no, sorry. I've got to speak up regardless of what happens to me. And that's the thing that heroes are made of in my book, you know? Yeah, and I think that's what has struck a chord also is that this is a guy, again, who is seen as objectively a really good football coach um, who just had two winning seasons with the team that he just coached. Um, and again, who is is up for, for potential jobs. So, for and he's 40 years old. So this is, again, a guy who, ha, who was, you know, he may still get jobs. It has a long football career ahead of him. So I think that's caught a lot of people's attention. And it's also raised questions again about the Rooney rule and why it was in place to specifically not have a situation like this happen. But the numbers kind of speak for themselves. This has been in place for, I believe, 20 years. And we have one, there's one black coach in the NFL. And so the questions that I've, I've, I've gotten is how can this be when that rule has been adjusted and changed multiple times, but it's essentially we're at square one. And that's another thing that's been under the microscope is what's being, being done. But it, it is very much an ownership issue. I think that's the collective understanding of it because of you look at the makeup of the NFL ownership and it's 31 white men. And the lack of diversity there because they make the hires and it's a trickle down effect. Um, Largely what I've heard is until that changes, we're still going to be in this predicament. So the thing that really kind of got my attention about all this is that this was exposed because of an accident, right? (laughs) You know, and so how, how much other stuff, is happening under our noses. And I'm not just talking about the NFL. I'm just talking about in general, you know, that people amongst us are okay with that doesn't get exposed because of uh, a a mistake that Bill Belichick made while he was texting Um, or, you know, a mistake that somebody makes in any scenario, you know, in a perfect world, if everything goes the way that we want it, to go or people wanted to go, we may still not even know about this. You know, you know what I'm saying here? And, yep. and, and so I'm wondering, Thomas, how, how you think, I mean, I, I go back to that ice bucket thing again. I mean, how is it, what, what needs to be done to get people to, to see and understand that we don't have to live this way. This doesn't have to be, you know, we really can make this place a good place for everybody. But I suppose that there are some people out there that don't want that anyway, and they spend every day working against it. But, you know, I mean, those people, you know, those people you're never, you're never going to reach. But yeah. it's I mean, if we just want to use the last two years as kind of the starting point, uh, to me, willful ignorance is no longer tolerated. 
mm-hmm. because when George Floyd was killed, a lot of the sentiment I heard in, in conversations with people and just reading, hearing uh, different things is, it, well, I didn't know. I didn't know the depths of it. And while I'm still not willing to give people a pass for that largely, if you want to say that's fine. But since George Floyd, that's no longer an option to say I didn't know because you do know. And as you were saying that, the, the first thing that pops into mind is, is, is Selma and what that took, because black folks were been protesting and been marching yeah. uh, before that. But what did it take? It took white people seeing the injustice and then acting on it. I think too many times, although I said earlier, we have to bear the burden. Uh, it's going to take white people to use their voices and use their influence and use their privilege. Um, to really affect change in ways that we have tried ourselves, but have been unable to do. So ultimately, I think that's that's what it's going to take. And again, like I said earlier, it's not guilting anyone to do it, but it's what are you willing to put forth to bring about this equality that, you know, generally I think people want. Yeah, it's great wisdom coming from a young, smart brother. Um, not that that's not something that happens. <laughs> I mean, it's a normal thing and it's just good to have it on our show. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you do, uh, professionally? Um, you know, you've been at the NFL network, as you said, for six years or so. Um, and I, I know you've done a few different things, but what are you doing now? Give us a sense of what you've done, how you got in there and what you're doing now. Been here for in six years, and uh, as of last September, I, I uh, transitioned, and now I work uh, as a senior producer on the podcast team. So I um, oversee a couple of our podcasts, uh, NFL Inside Report and Move the Sticks, and then I also help develop um, podcasts. Uh, we now have a partner in iHeartRadio, so uh, I work with the team, a small team, uh, doing that. And then I'm also... Um, a co-chair, there's an organization in the NFL called the Black Engagement Network. Yeah. Uh, and we have different chapters in Los Angeles, in our office in New York, in our office at NFL Films in New Jersey, at our office in the in the UK. And I'm one of the co-chairs in the LA chapter for the, the Black Engagement Network, which we have these discussions with amongst ourselves, but also with our leadership on how do we affect change when it comes to specifically the black employees and em- increasing and improving the black employee opportunities for the black employees who have earned it within the company. Mm -hmm. Do you get the sense, Thomas, that your, your leadership genuinely gets what's, what's at stake here, what's happening? I mean, I asked that question because it's a, it's a gigantic organization and there are lots of things that they have to do on a daily basis. And I'm not suggesting that they don't have the capacity to understand it, but I'm saying, are they, able to slow down long enough to, 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 to get it. Or is that, is that your job, you and your colleagues as job to slow them down? So they see it. I think that's part of it. It is, it is very much our jobs. It's what we, we very much push our leadership, try to push our leadership forward. I think a lot of things changed in the NFL. And I think just in corporate America in general, after George Floyd, uh, you saw a lot of attention being paid to black people um, I think it's no different in the NFL. I'll say for me personally, and, and I haven't really said this before to anyone really, but well, I've said it to our top leadership, but 
for me, I, I, after George Floyd was a lot of a part of a lot of conversations with a lot of top executives in the NFL in ways I'd never been before. And so I've, I felt, I have felt a keen responsibility and debt to George Floyd. I don't, I don't even know the man, never knew him. Yeah. Do not waste that opportunity. Um, because I know that I've, I've been in these rooms and discussions and in high levels of the company about these matters that I'd never had been before. So that's why I go back to earlier about the burden. It is a burden, but I'll carry it because in a weird way, I, I feel like I owe it to him to not drop the ball and let the NFL and our leaders not be cognizant of the issues that we have in the company and not do what needs to be done to fix them. That's perfect. That's a perfect, perfect uh, juxtaposition of, of, of the debt we owe him and so many other people who've gone on before him, who've done the exact same thing. But this is our moment now in our lifetimes, our experiences, um, that we can act on not from a historical point of view because somebody told us about it or we read about it, but because we experienced it, we saw it. And I'm, I'm grateful to you, Thomas Warren, for, for chatting with us today. Is there anything on this topic or any other that you want to add before we wrap this up today? Yeah, I mean, I'll say when it comes to the NFL, I think within the corporate offices, the business side, the media side, I think there are, you know, leaders who are, who really want to bring about change. And I think are open to, to seeking the help to do that. But when it comes to the ownership side of the league, I think that's the side that is really going to be the group that's going to bring about the change that we ultimately need in, in the company within the league. Um, I think that's just a general, you know, consensus based on how things are, have gone more broadly society wise. I hate, I, I don't want it to be, that it's going to take another George Floyd for these topics to be brought again to the forefront. It's too many times we've had to be killed in order for people to want to fight for our humanity. Um, it's just not necessary. So I'll say it again, we've said it a couple of times. This isn't about guilt. This isn't about shaming anyone. It's really just wanting people to genuinely be invested in equality because it's possible. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Thomas Warren, senior podcast producer at NFL Media, but he's also a really good friend of colors and mine. And I would argue if you met him, you'd say the same thing yourself within a very short period of time. Thomas, thank you for your wisdom and thank you for your time today. Always appreciate you, JJ. Stay tuned for some thoughts about race in America and details about our next guest. You're listening to Colors. My name is Aya Sadiq. I am Middle Eastern. I'm Palestinian. I have a light complexion and green-colored eyes. Some would say I even look Caucasian. So often, I blend in with white Americans. It's the moment I begin talking that people realize I'm not from there. Where are you from, they ask, a question often too complicated for me to answer. And although I'm originally Palestinian, I almost always settle with, I was born and raised in Dubai. A part of me was afraid of saying Palestine. 
As a Muslim Arab in a post-9-11 world, I knew I needed to be aware of how I could be perceived the second I decided to come to the United States. This was in America where fascists and white supremacists and Islamophobes reigned the country. Every time I was asked where I was from, I felt as though it came with the intention of strategically categorizing me into this hierarchical system of power based on skin color and identity. To me, that is America. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. If you have any questions or comments about Colors, send us an email. You can reach us at colors at thecolorspodcast.com. That's colors at thecolorspodcast.com. My name is Shonda Buchanan. I identify as African American and American Indian, and I am from Kalamazoo, Michigan. My name is Mike Jakaitis. I'm an Asian American. My name is Lara Capuano. I am located in Rochester, New York, and I am white. My name is JJ Green. I'm black. And this is Colors. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. Leola Calzalai-Stewart is the producer of the PBS documentary, The American Diplomat. I think The American Diplomat is about the efforts of early black diplomats to create space for people of color and American diplomacy. She talks about their challenges and some challenges she's had along the way, too. I remember being in high school and a counselor making me feel a little less than and I knew it was based on race. She gestured with her thumb and forefinger creating a very small space. And I remember being in that meeting and just feeling like this small. Well, a sometimes emotional interview about her story and the American diplomat. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. That's it for another program. Before we go out the door, we want to say thank you to some people. Deanna Howell, Michelle Torres, Mariam Safi, Roz Whitaker-Heck, Paini Hiraldo, Julie Pham, Hillary Howard, Mike Jakaitis, Joel Oxley, Jackie Kendo. We want to thank for our music, Jesse Gallagher, Cosmic, and Offshane. And of course, most of all, we want to thank you for listening. And remember, keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast DC, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.